0: Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be talking to Ben Smith. Ben is based at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, and he specializes in developing online tools to deal with the mental side of cancer. Now, these tools are typically developed by a specialized team of experts with the input of cancer survivors. So, regular folks like you and me who know exactly what cancer is like firsthand. So, there is input from all key perspectives here. And this is incredibly powerful because these online tools give you control over the support that you get because ultimately, you get to decide how much time you want to spend on it and when. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home or wherever you are so Ben also has some fantastic advice on dealing with the fear of cancer coming back on on where you can turn to for professional help if it all gets a bit too much and cancer caregivers what can they do to stay sane during this crazy adventure and much much more there are so many great actionable takeaways from our conversation today that I promise you you're going to love it Ben, when it comes to cancer, like most of us don't realize that we need help on psychological level. I I know from personal experience that it just doesn't occur to you to seek help because it's cancer, like it's it's supposed to be hard, you know. So, what's your take on that?
1: Well, there's no doubt that cancer is hard. Can't take anything away from that. But there are definitely ways that can be made easier. And uh, I think people really shouldn't be afraid to ask for help. But um as you say a lot of people don't necessarily think to do that because they just feel they have to kind of tough out what is a inherently challenging experience i think though in your case as is typical of a lot of men uh they they seem to want to be particularly stoic and and particularly reluctant to to seek help certainly something that i um saw in my phd which was focused on men with testicular cancer and although two-thirds of those men reported having unmet uh, needs when it came to uh, support for, for getting through their cancer experience, um, a lot of them were very reluctant to actually go and ask for that help themselves um, or, or perhaps, yeah, just didn't occur to them. So I think what what that highlights is the importance of Something that's becoming increasingly common in uh, management of people affected by cancer these days, which is something called screening for distress. So there's a number of projects um, happening around the world and one here in Australia called the ADAPT project where they're trying to implement routine screening for distress across uh, the cancer trajectory. So they use a very simple tool, uh, a distress thermometer, along with a, a checklist of items um, that people may be struggling with, and that's done um, at various points throughout their treatment and follow up, and it helps helps pick out the the people who are who are struggling a bit and what issues they're struggling with, um, and it helps the I suppose the cancer care team uh, know what what issues they can be helping uh, those patients with because as you say sometimes. You know, the people don't themselves don't realise that clinicians aren't particularly good at, at recognising when people need help um, either, and um, so we need we need ways of of routinely being able to identify people who who are needing help. Although it's important to acknowledge that not everyone who is distressed as a result of cancer will want help, and actually there's been studies that have found that the majority of patients um, actually decline help. So we need to give people space to manage. And they distress how they want, but make them realise that help is available if they need it.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating that you talk about this tool. So, how does it actually work? Is it like a questionnaire, and it's like a self-assessed questionnaire that you fill in, say, in front of your specialist?
1: So it can be administered in in a number of different ways. In some cases, or in some centres, it's just done online or you know there might be a, a touch screen for example when they turn up to the waiting room where they can complete it um, in some cases it's uh, administered by a member of the cancer care team in other cases it's it's done online at home as is done in, in a project called prompt care that, that uh, is running here at, at my center and so there are various ways of doing it I think um, you know my personal opinion is that we need to give patients or people affected by cancer space to honestly um, report on their levels of distress and the symptoms that they're experiencing, which is probably best done in the comfort of their own homes. Because I think a lot of cancer patients are reluctant to Bring up issues with their treating team sometimes because they don't want to seem ungrateful for what the doctors have done for them and like they haven't done a good enough job kind of thing. You know, a lot of <laughs> yeah. everyone with cancer is very appreciative of the care that they get, but uh, yeah, so they don't want to do anything to to make it seem like they're not. But I think the, the really important thing is once, those, however, those questions are asked, that follow up is you know there needs to be an action based on those on those questions on behalf of the care team. So those results need to go to the care team and appropriate uh, actions and referrals need to happen after that.
0: Yeah, Ben, that sounds like a great tool. So let's say I've used a tool like that to understand that, you know, I am struggling with cancer and it's all a bit too much. So where do I turn? Do I look for a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a counselor maybe? How do I know they're going to understand where I'm coming from as as a cancer patient or, or a cancer survivor?
1: So I think it it all depends on how much you're struggling and, and your preferences regarding what type of help you'd like and your access to that help. So there are lots of different sources of support that I suppose range in intensity. You know, a great, I suppose, first base or first port of call is the Cancer Information and Support Line, which is 13, 11, 20, Um, helpline run by the cancer councils in each state you know and then you can uh, by calling that line which is accessible to anybody affected by cancer whether it be um, someone who's a a patient or survivor or perhaps even someone who's caring for one of those people you can speak to specially trained people who are often registered nurses or counsellors to To get some specific advice regarding the issues that you're facing as someone affected by cancer, uh, and and that's obviously accessible to anybody who's got a phone, so that's that's great. I suppose that um, another person you can turn to is your GP. I think as a young guy, I I didn't really have a. A regular GP that I went and saw until a couple of years ago. But I think it's a really good thing to have because the good thing about someone like that is a GP who you see regularly knows you, but they also know the healthcare system so they can help. Uh, link you in with any support that you need. For example, you know if you go and see a GP now, you can get what's called a mental health care plan, and that basically means you can have um, several sessions with a psychologist that subsidised by Medicare. So, which is great. But I suppose if you're looking for cancer specific advice, you can go and you can speak to your treating oncologist um, at your cancer center and and ask for a referral to to a psychologist or it might be a psychiatrist um, or even a social worker or someone like that if you're after more practical help at at your treating center. but The downside to that, I suppose, is that a lot of people who've had cancer don't like to go back to the, you know, if they're through their treatment, you know, but it was really tough. They don't necessarily want to go back to where that all happened, and which brings up a lot of negative memories. So um, you can look for cancer professionals uh, in the community, and there's a great um, organisation called Cancer Counselling Professionals, which enables you to search for people who have got a specific interest or training in in um, counselling people with cancer, uh, and you can search by postcode and find out. You know who's around and you can specify the, the type of help that you'd like as well. Like, for example, whether you'd like to speak to someone who's a psychologist or whether you'd prefer to speak to a psychiatrist or you just want a, a counsellor, you can, you can specify that in your search as well. Um, and finally, the, the, the last option, I suppose, is, is things like online self-management type interventions, where if you don't feel like you want to speak to a face-to-face professional, and a lot of people do prefer to manage their concerns on their own or just perhaps with the support of their family and friends, then there are a number of websites now, depending on the type of cancer you have or the stage you're at, where you can seek that kind of help.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic advice, Ben. So let's, let's actually dig into that self management and self help world a little bit. So what can you do yourself? Like as a cancer patient or a cancer survivor or a carer, if you're caring for someone who has cancer. So what can you do and what are some of the good resources to, to check out? Yeah,
1: I suppose as cancer, as we continue to develop better uh, ways of diagnosing and treating cancer, there are an increasing number of uh, people living with and beyond cancer for many years. So there has been an increased focus on self-management, which is a concept that's been applied to many other chronic diseases um, in the past. And it's basically about empowering people to, to manage their own health had some kind of illness and um, so there there are again numerous ways in which you you can uh, this can be facilitated um, there are uh, programs run through the cancer council for example and there's one called living well after cancer um, which is which is all about trying to help people you know establish a reestablish a healthy lifestyle after having cancer because i mean i think that's a big one that a lot of people Uh, focus on it is the kind of diet and exercise type things it it not only is uh, improving your health and doing things like reducing your risk of recurrence but it's also a way of getting back some degree of control you know after an experience where you have very little control so um, there's also just kind of more I suppose informational booklets but but that do include information about self-management strategies like the um, living well after cancer booklet also published by Cancer Council. And then there's, um, online interventions. Um, one that's been developed for, for anybody affected by cancer by a group led by Dr. Lisa Beatty over at the Flinders Medical Center is called Finding My Way and is now. That's been evaluated and and shown to be effective in in helping people um, improve their psychological um, well-being after cancer and is now publicly available. So that's that's something that's accessible to anybody uh, who's had cancer. Um, Then there are some more specific websites, um, a couple that I've been involved. In developing is one called ETC for, for testicular cancer survivors and another one I'm currently working on is, is called I Fear, which is uh, specifically focused on helping people manage uh, concerns about their cancer coming back. And then finally there's um, I suppose one way of trying to empower people um, is, is to have them talk to other people who have been through the same thing. So support groups are really important. Although not everyone likes uh, that group kind of dynamic necessarily. Um, so if you prefer one-on-one kind of support, there's programs like Cancer Connect where you can get specific um, information and advice from, a, from another cancer survivor who's, who's had a similar experience to you.
0: Yeah, that's great, Ben. And you mentioned ETC. I love it. It's such a great tool. I mean, could you talk about what it is and how did it come about? Sure.
1: Yeah, ETC um, came about from my PhD research, uh, which, as I mentioned before, was was focused on testicular cancer survivors and um, identifying uh, what issues they faced and trying to find out who the men were that were struggling the most. Um, And what we found in that was that approximately uh, one in five uh, testicular cancer survivors Uh, experienced uh, levels of anxiety and depression that were clinically significant, so uh, having an impact on their everyday lives, making it hard for them to function and do the things they wanted to do. And that compares to about one in eight in the the general population, so an increased prevalence of of anxiety and depression and also um, poorer quality of life in in several areas. And as I mentioned before, about two-thirds of men uh, we're reporting um, unmet supportive care needs, but we're very reluctant to go and see a face-to-face kind of professional to to address those needs. Um, so, because uh, testicular cancer tends to affect uh, young men and um, who are typically uh, very busy with work and starting a family, and you know, or, or just all the things that that happen in your life as a person in their in their 20s or 30s, um, we thought that reaching out to these guys online would be, um, given that they were already kind of highly connected in general, would be a good way of offering support. So ETC was um, developed uh, with some funding from uh, the Cancer Council and, a, and an organisation called Sydney Catalyst in the first instance and um, led by a colleague of mine, Dr Louise Heinegger, And, um, it's really targeted at providing men with, with tools or strategies to help them address some of the common concerns faced by testicular cancer survivors, which are, you know, dealing with both the physical and psychological side effects of their illness, such as worrying about the cancer coming back. Um, but also impact on things like their relationships. Um, it can have quite a big impact on sexuality and intimacy and it's giving them uh, strategies to try and overcome uh, some of those issues such as learning how to identify and challenge unhelpful thoughts and learning some mindfulness techniques to help them um, deal with things that they can't necessarily change such as you know, the potential risk that their that cancer so might come back one day. So we've done a little bit of evaluation of ETC to date. Um, We we did a a pilot study with 25 men who've had testicular cancer. And what we found from that study was that they thought ETC was a really great resource, but there was uh, somewhat limited engagement with, with ETC. So... Uh, men seem to either, you know, complete the whole program or not do very much of it at all, and and that may have been uh, for practical reasons. Uh, one man, uh, one man talked about, you know, losing his password and and that the procedure he had to go through to get it back was just too onerous, so he didn't bother. But also, I suppose, as I mentioned before, men are, are kind of typically uh, reluctant to engage in psychological type research as well but there was there was a clear need for us to try and increase the level of engagement of the intervention by doing things like providing uh, more videos of survivors talking about their experiences and also just making it a bit easier for men to go into the intervention get the information that they need and get out like men didn't want to have to work through um, you know, pages and pages of information and strategies and exercises that weren't necessarily directly addressing the, the specific issues that they were struggling with. So, we've subsequently refined um, ETCN with the support of ANZUP, which is the Australian New Zealand Urogenital and Prostate Cancer Trials Group. Um, we, we're now um, testing that refined uh, intervention in in men uh, who've had testicular cancer who are reporting high levels of distress. So our our target population, I suppose, and and we're hoping that uh, that evaluation will be completed shortly.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Ben, uh, because you saw a need The need that men want to address some of those underlying psychological issues, but they may not necessarily feel comfortable about going out and seeking a face-to-face professional. And this is really something you can do from the comfort of your own home. And uh, I think that's fantastic. So Ben, you also touched on the fear of cancer coming back, and you've done some work around that. So could you talk about why it happens? What are some of the strategies to, to deal with it? And what what is the tool that you're working on right now?
1: So fear fear of cancer recurrence or, or people worrying about their cancer coming back is a is a really common concern amongst people who've had cancer. Uh, probably the most pressing issue for for many cancer survivors, uh, and that's the I think that's the first thing to acknowledge that it is a completely normal reaction to having had cancer, and and something. Um, and it's a rational concern. I mean, the, the reality is that, you know, uh, anyone who's had cancer, there is a, a, a small ri- risk um, that it could either come back or they could get a new cancer. And that fact that it is a rational concern has kind of informed how we uh, aim to try and address it. And by we, um, I, I've worked with a team of people um, largely Uh, from the psycho-oncology cooperative research group, which is based at Sydney Uni to uh, try and address this problem. And, and the approach that we've taken is that it's not reasonable to expect that you can completely eliminate people's concerns about their cancer coming back, that it is something that is, is likely to happen um, to everybody. But what we think drives Fear of cancer occurrence, which, which has an impact on uh, or a severe impact on people's lives, is actually their beliefs about the value of worry, which are called metacognitions. So for example, if you have either positive beliefs about the value of worry, so you think that you know it's important that you worry so that you can catch any kind of, it'll help you catch any potential recurrence earlier. Um, Or if you have negative beliefs about the value of worry, so for example, if you think that worrying itself might actually cause your cancer to come back, that can create this way of thinking that is very much focused on uh, very internally focused so um, which is why we think that any kind of aches and pains and things like that can often trigger these thoughts about cancer coming back and it's also very focused on threat as well um, and this causes a, a cycle um, whereby um, yeah any any trigger can set off the cancer cancer and then people think oh it's in imp- thoughts about the cancer coming back and then people say well it's important that I that I worry or or, I, or try and push that worry ar- away, and but that that actually just increases the worry further. So uh, the the way that we've tried to address fear of cancer occurrence is by doing things that kind of acknowledge that this is a normal uh, issue, but try and change people's the way they think about worry, so that they're giving these worries less attention. So not trying to get rid of them, but but just treat them as kind of noise so one one strategy that we're using is to mindfulness for example and one of the kind of analogies that you is used for instance is is thinking about you know your thoughts about cancer like trains at a busy station you know all the all these thoughts and concerns these are trains that are just going past and you know to destinations that you don't want to go um so you of course you're not going to get on you're not going to engage with those thoughts if they're not if that train isn't going to where you want to go so you know it's helping people see them as more internal noise that they that is going to be there to some degree but they're they're kind of turning down the volume so that they're giving them less attention so that's the kind of Approach we're taking. There's also, and that's part of um, an intervention called Conquer Fear, um, which is um, shown to be very effective in in reducing the levels of fear of cancer occurrence experienced by people with cancer. And it also includes, uh, I suppose, simple strategies from that intervention that people could incorporate into everyday life. Are also things like worry postponement, which is a strategy whereby you set aside a bit of time each day for example ideally not too close before you go to bed where you're going to worry about stuff whether it be your cancer coming back or whatever it is and so it just just means that by putting aside a specific time to do it each day you're not you're less likely for that worry to you know be happening every you know Hour while you're trying to get your work done or whatever, you, you kind of know that um, okay, I've got time to do that later or think about that later. And a lot of people find that when they come to that time, they're like, "Oh, actually, you know, I don't think I need to worry about that anymore. Like, or, or the moment's passed." And so that can be quite an effective strategy um, to help people. But if you are, ex- you know, for anybody who's experiencing worries that are um, very persistent. Um, and, and not just transitory. So a lot of people talk about, you know, their fears about the cancer coming back being elevated around the time of follow up tests or appointments. But, you know, if you're experiencing these fears all the time, um, and they're having an impact on your everyday life, then I'd encourage people to go and see a, a psychologist.
0: Well, but that's, that's some great tools. And I, I, I love the metaphor about the trains rushing past and how you, you can just say, well, I don't want to get on. I think that's that's great. That's really powerful. So is that related to, to mindfulness? Because I guess what, mindfulness is one of those things that everyone talks about, but no one really knows how to do. So what's your take on mindfulness? Is there like an approach that someone can take to think about it? Are there any good resources that you could recommend? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I'm not an expert on mindfulness generally. And the kind of brand of mindfulness that we've used in Concordia is a little bit different, I suppose, to your everyday sorts of mindfulness and the, the main difference is detached mindfulness doesn't aim to kind of uh, create a blank mind if you like you know which is kind of the goal of a lot of forms of mindfulness it's to, it's to completely still your mind whereas detached mindfulness is is as i mentioned before about acknowledging that you might have these unwanted thoughts or feelings being okay about that and just not engaging with them so not getting on the train that's going to the station that you don't want to go um as you say mindfulness has become a bit of a buzzword recently um and i think there's been a review done of um some mindfulness approaches within the cancer context i can't quite remember the results of that but it was done by some colleagues of mine so i can you know happily send that through if you'd like to that would be great yeah on your website somewhere
0: yeah that would be perfect Ben and um, you know when it comes to clinical trials I guess most of us think think about drugs Uh, but of course Mm -hmm. online interventions also go through that process can you talk about how that works
1: yeah well the first thing I wanted to say is that um, it's true that uh, many online interventions do also go through a rigorous rigorous evaluation and testing process but it's certainly not true of all the Um, you know websites and apps uh, that are available out there uh, for people affected by cancer there have been several reviews showing that a lot of the the websites and apps available through uh, app store are not based on any evidence or you know don't really have any yeah haven't gone through any evaluations so that's a concern and I think it's probably caused by the you know that the whole regulatory system is still kind of catching up with this whole um, idea of delivering um, support online. you know I think it's a really valuable way of helping people, but it's something that yeah we do need to be careful about um, ensuring that the interventions that we're developing are you know actually helping rather than harming people and so that the way that we do that you know for any research that's done, through universities or hospitals and, and public health kind of focused institutions is, well, I mean, to use ETC as an example, um, we, we first developed the, the website with input from a, a variety of experts across several areas, including um, men who'd had testicular cancer who are obviously the experts in that subject matter. Um, and then once the intervention had been developed and we wanted to test it, we had to submit that, uh, ethics application, which was reviewed to ensure that the way in which we were both delivering and, and evaluating the intervention was, was ethically sound and wasn't likely to cause harm to, or, or the, the benefits of that were outweighed any risks of harm to participants. Uh, and, and what happens first normally is that. Uh, you test, you know, the, the acceptability of the intervention, whether people are likely to or find it useful and, and it, it meets their, their needs or, or preferences. And then once if you and it can be feasibly delivered, so people are actually engaging with it. And once you've done that, you would then go on uh, generally to do a larger study that evaluates whether it actually impacts on the outcomes that you're hoping to change you know such as psychological distress or or quality of life so yeah it is a very um, rigorous process you have to go through and and i suppose you know my advice to anybody who is looking for a a good example of, of one of those tools is to just make sure you have a look at the about section of the website or app to see who's developed it and and how it's been done because it, if it's done by a reputable um, organization, it, it should be outlined there.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Ben. Because there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Like there are many aspects to building on, online interventions. You have to first understand the needs. You have to, as you said, involve the experts, come up with, with solution approaches and find the right language to present it. Yes, design the user experience and, and build it as well. So how, how did you go about managing it all?
1: Um, well, I think I touched on probably the two most important things. Well, firstly, to involve consumers, although it's not a term I necessarily like, but what I mean by that is, you know, the, the people that you're developing this intervention for, I mean, they should be involved in the, in the process of developing it because they're the ones who, who know, you know, what their needs are and, and how they're best met. You know that it's important that you know to use, I suppose, theory and other research that's gone before to try and inform that. But but ultimately, it should be driven by the need of the people that that you're aiming to help. And the other thing, apart from involving um, consumers, I think it's you know what I I'm really lucky to have worked with um, great teams both for ETC and iConquer Fear, the online intervention where. Um, developing to help people manage their fear of cancer occurrence, um, that have experts that offer multiple different perspectives. So not only the perspectives of people who have cancer, but also experts in oncology, experts in psychology, experts in, in e-health or online interventions, and also just expertise in, in general research um, methodology. So, yeah, I think those are the two most important things involved. Um, you know the the end users in your in your development uh, and try and do it iteratively so you know get feedback often and make changes as you go along um, and and work with it with a team that offers lots of different perspectives
0: that's great but it's really reassuring to know that there's a lot of work and a lot of structure behind it all but i want to ask you what with is obviously tough to deal with. And, and many relationships and friendships are tested. And sometimes people don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And sometimes you don't really know what to tell people. It's 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 all very confusing. So what advice do you have on that front?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that you ask about this because I actually came across a really fantastic, what I think is a great way to, actually help people who've had cancer and their friends and family um, connect which is you might might have heard of it before but it's called the can do app
0: oh no i haven't heard about it
1: right yeah so it was developed by a person who who's um, been personally affected by cancer and basically the the intention of the app is to help people who've had cancer to get um, support from their friends and family so the basic function that it serves is to enable uh, people who've had cancer to develop a, a list of things that they'd like help or assistance with and then they can add their friends and family as kind of team members to this app and, and those people can then either nominate themselves to help with a particular task that the the person affected by cancer needs help with or, or the person with cancer can actually allocate tasks to particular people because I think as you say it's, it's sometimes really hard to know kind of uh, how much or how little you should be doing. You know, you don't want to ignore the fact that someone has had cancer, but you don't want to treat them like an invalid either. So it's hard to find that balance. And so I think things like this app can really help um, with that. And I I think, I don't know, there, there are lots of other things as well. If if you know someone who's had cancer, sometimes, you know, it probably depends on the person and you'd be the best judge of that, but a little bit of humor can sometimes help. And there's these great um, Emily McDowell empathy cards. I encourage you to look them up if you haven't seen them. But there's things along the lines of, you know, please let me be the first person to uh, punch the next person who tells you cancer is a journey. Right? Uh, <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> you, you know, just tackling some of those cliches that get trotted out uh, to describe people um, who've had cancer. But I, I think that ultimately the message is obviously, you know, it is hard to know what to say or do for, to or for someone who's had cancer. But the worst thing you can do is is to not get in touch with them at all because you're worried about saying the wrong thing so um, I suppose you know we're lucky now that we've got you know text and email and messages and stuff like that so you can really think about what you want to say before you do it if you're feeling like a face-to-face conversation might be a little bit awkward and I suppose if you've had cancer just acknowledging that it can be hard for people to know what to say is, is important and and often like people if they're not familiar with the whole can- cancer process then um, they might be unsure about where you 're up to and that kind of thing and, and so this can do app actually enables people to to give brief updates and just send them out to their support team if you like just to to keep people in the loop and you know just doing things like catching up while doing an activity i suppose takes a bit of the pressure off um, if you 've got a common interest than doing that and and i suppose um the other thing that people with cancer can do is is you know there's no doubt that if you haven't had cancer it's it's probably hard to fully comprehend the magnitude of the experience of someone who has so um and and people often with cancer often say that so that that's where i think support groups and or, or even online forums and things can be quite useful because you know those people get what you've been through they're they, you know they've been there, so I suppose they can maybe better at validating your experience to
0: some degree yeah that's that's fantastic Ben and i, I really love the can do app that you've described because I've actually been thinking about the same lines to allow people to volunteer for certain things and and you know yeah. uh, put up their hand and say yeah I, I want to put up for that but in a, in a way that is non-threatening on one hand but it's also yeah. something that happens on your terms yeah so it's not something that's forced on you and someone does something because they think it's right but they, it's not it's not what you want you know yeah yeah
1: so i think yeah that's what's great about that most people want to help but the app helps them know the best way that they can they can help like from the person with cancer themselves
0: so. yeah exactly and the other thing then is caregivers is people who um you know maybe their partners or, or parents or, or friends of someone who's got cancer. So so they're really, you know, it, it might be really stressful on them too because all the focus is on the person with cancer. They're often the people who get left out emotionally yeah. and mentally. What can they do to take care of themselves better or where can they turn to for help?
1: Yeah, look, there's no doubt that caregivers um, do it tough and um, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that often they're actually – um, struggling even more than the people who've had cancer themselves. Um, certainly in the case of fear of cancer occurrence, um, it, it's often the case that the carers are more worried about the cancer coming back than, than the person who's had cancer. And the, the additional Problem for carers is that I think they often feel like they've got to be strong for the person they're caring for, and therefore they don't express those concerns, and they get really bottled up, and and they've got no one to kind of go to and and, and talk to. So there are um, um, there are support groups for carers as well, and so that's something I think um, is really useful talking to other people who are who are going through the same challenges and facing. Um, the same issues that that you are um, you know I, th- I think it's really important that um, as you kind of alluded to carers need to sometimes take a bit of time to to care for themselves so I mean ultimately if if they kind of burn out because they're just so overwhelmed by the, the task of, of caring for someone uh, with cancer then it's not going to help that person and it's not going to help them either if, if they just Work themselves into the ground. Basically, there are a few um, useful websites I think, or or resources. Uh, Again, the Cancer Council is is that information and support line thirteen eleven twenty. It's not just set up for patients or survivors; it's also accessible to carers. And there's there's you know bits of the Cancer Council website as well that's specifically for carers, and they can provide information on things like. Some stuff like more practical things like government support that they might be entitled to, for example, to, to offset some costs of caring because it's not just a time cost for the carers. Often caring for someone comes at a great material cost as well. So I think getting help for that is any help that people can get in, is useful in that area. And there's, there's, um, one website that, that I think there are more and more, um, interventions being developed for carers, thankfully. Although we've been, yeah, I, I suppose the focus of research has largely been on the patients, um, up until now and survivors, but, um, helpforcancercaregivers.org is a website established, uh, by, uh, hospital an organization over in the over in the states but i think it provides some really useful strategies for, for carers
0: yeah that's fantastic ben thank you so much for sharing some you know really fantastic advice and i'm going to definitely follow up and put all the links to the resources that you you've mentioned just now so thanks very much it's, it's been a great help yeah thanks joe it's been really great talking to you